You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Well, friends, we are back. It's hard to overstate how excited Matt and I are to be back with the Pastoral Calling Podcast. It's been uh, a long couple years, as you well know, in many areas of life. Uh, But one of the things we found is uh, this season has reinforced to us just the central role of the local church in the life of the community. And so we're excited to be back after a time off and uh, be bringing to you some interviews with Uh, pastors and ministry leaders and friends about what the local church means to them and the role that it plays in their life and in their congregation and community. So uh, we're grateful that you waited this long for us. If you're a longtime listener, uh, we we are grateful for your patience. If you're new, we hope you enjoy uh, what we do here. This is a conversation about the local church and we interview people and we share thoughts and uh, hopefully you find uh, some of these discussions um, beneficial. They provoke some thoughts in you, and that's really our our goal is to start a conversation here. So we are returning with an interview from Pastor Josh White, who is a pastor of Grace Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Matt and I were able to spend some time with Josh in January at the Grace Gospel Fellowship Refresh Leadership Conference down in Phoenix. Uh, Just a really beautiful time with him. And as we heard him share about his heart and, and his ministry, we thought, this is the man. This is the one to uh, bring us into a new era of the PCP. So here we are, uh, back from a slumber. We've awoken, and uh, it's time to send you off to your first interview. So we hope you enjoy, and we will be back soon. So watch this space for uh, future episodes coming sooner than later. So enjoy this interview with Pastor Josh. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. And we are super pleased to be back online with all of you. And today we have a special guest joining us from the sunny southwest of phoenix arizona pastor josh white you and i were colleagues at grace bible college many years ago were you guys really oh yeah we went to most of the classes together and then we played soccer together for what two one or two seasons one or two seasons but i remember us being in greek class together because it was you and me and uh another another guy john louder and we At seven 7.45 every morning, we were in classroom E studying Greek together with Dr. DeWitt. That's right. I remember I, John and I would get together and we would study for that class. I studied more for that Greek class than I did for everything from kindergarten to my senior year of high school. <laughs> just, just so that we could not look foolish besides Matt. <laughs> I remember, I remember that Dr. DeWitt got really upset with us one morning and he accused us of having slapdash translations. That was the word that he used. <laughs> he said, I've had enough of these slapdash translations. I want you to study and do your work and come prepared. 
He was talking to all of us. Yeah, he he told the he um he really inspired me to work hard. He really did. That was a good thing. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about your ministry, and uh, because when I came to Grand Rapids, uh, when Michelle and I were married, came to work at Grace Bible College in 2005. You were the pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship, and you had been there for a while. So, tell us how you got started in ministry, and then kind of where things have gone since then. Yeah, so I graduated from Grace in '98, and then um, I I was started part time at Grace Bible Fellowship in Jenison, Michigan, and that quickly turned into more or less a full time position. So I was there for about what seven or eight years, and then in 2006, the church here in Phoenix was, they were looking for a pastor and I, I wasn't interested in moving. I was very pleased. Things were going well at, at GBF, but I knew, I knew a handful of people down in the Phoenix church. I've met them through like uh, speaking at West coast grace youth camp. I knew them. I liked them. I thought, well, if I were, were to ever make a transition, maybe this would be a good time. Um, my boys, we had two kids at the time. They were young. So I thought, well, I and mean, if we're going to do something, let me just explore this. And then when I came down and I visited, I just thought this is this is just where we're supposed to be. And we've been here for uh, 15 years now, going on on 16. So I guess I guess we were supposed to be here. <laughs> so fun fact: when I uh, started at Grace, I came to Grace in 2003. One of my first ministries was to play in the worship band with Gary Hansen at Grace Bible Fellowship while you were right. the pastor there. So right. Right. The circle I is... remember those. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember when Matt was moving up to Grand Rapids and I really wanted you to go to GBF. I remember I kind of was doing some recruiting. I was very excited about <laughs> you guys coming to the church. And shortly after you came, I left. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, that was a hard, I mean, honestly, that was a hard transition. Like I think I just came on to the board and then a few months later you announced that you were leaving. And so yeah. that was like, okay, here we go. Like now we have a, you know, pastoral search and all of this stuff that we got to do. Uh, it was, it was a, a challenging season to come in as a young elder in the ministry at that time. But I also knew that you were, you know, called to that ministry in Phoenix and that you're really excited about it. And, you know, it's worked out great for you and your family. I mean, you've been uh, embedded in that ministry for 15 years, which is way beyond the typical average for a pastor to stay in one place. And it, and it, yeah. you don't, you don't show any signs of moving out of that like, no Southwest area. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, God can move anyone at any time, but I'm, I'm thinking you're going to put up a fight. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I just try to have that mindset of this is, this is where I'm, I am until God calls me home or tell the rapture or tell, you know, so what do you try see? to have that long-term perspective? Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that Matt and I talk about. And I really resonate with the idea of embedding yourself in a community for as long as you can. <laughs> what do you, what, what do you see as like for your ministry? How have you seen, benefit in being there for a decade and a half in ways that maybe you wouldn't have if you were to pop around to different places. You know, the church, the church I grew up in was Spokane, Washington, Berean Bible Church. And obviously I don't remember this, but Ken Parker um, started shortly after I was born. And I, and apparently I was the first baby Ken Parker ever dedicated. Hmm. And he was my, the only pastor I ever knew. And so he had been there for 20 years or so. 
And when I, when I moved here, there were a whole bunch of young families and they've had kids and all those kids are now, you know, elementary school. Some of them are in junior high. And I hope you want kids to look up to the pastors that they had when they were, when they were kids and to think, you know, this was my pastor. It was a good experience. It was a good example. And just, just the thought of, I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them, you know, maybe someday I could perform their weddings. That's just a really uh, appealing thing for me that when they think of their childhood, they were in a church that was stable, that was healthy. There was one guy there who mm-hmm. was faithful and consistent. And my wife and I, we lead the Awana ministry. So we really do know these kids. Um, so, I mean, that's always kind of been appealing to mm-hmm. me. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about like the scope of your ministry and what a typical week looks like for you. Are you heavily involved in preaching, teaching? You're doing Awana. Uh, how would you like describe the a typical week of your ministry? Yeah, I guess, you know, the main, you know, churches, usually when you're in ministry, it's um, you have these these events that you're always preparing for and planning for. So I guess the, the main events that I'm always preparing for would be Sunday morning um, preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually teach a couple times, teach Sunday school as well, a couple times a year. And when I say a couple times, that's usually like a month or two months at a time. Then my wife and I, we lead the Awana ministry on Tuesdays. Uh, we have a Tuesdays. Group. What sort what? of Gentile are you? I know it's kind of crazy. And I, I don't remember why <laughs> we did Tuesday. There was a reason why we did Tuesdays, but we we've done it. We've done it. We started the Awana ministry at our church. It's been going for 13 or 14 years now. Uh, um, I know it's typically Wednesday, but some, I can't remember the reason why we did, I think it was because youth group was on Wednesdays and we both couldn't be in the uh, yeah, at the same yeah, yeah. time. Cause they've um, always done it that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so there's that. And then every now and then there's the senior luncheon events, Thursday morning men's Bible study. So those are, those are kind of the, uh, those anchor events and then meeting with people, staff meetings, board meetings. I'm always planning. I mean, anyone in ministry knows that you're always planning and preparing for something. And then there's the phone calls and things like that. So. What is your staff like? I know you have a couple other folks there with you. Right. I think we're, I guess every church is unique, but I'm the only quote unquote full-time um, staff member pastor on staff. We also, everyone else that is on staff, they have full-time jobs. Um, our administrative assistant, our church business coordinator, Angie, she has a, she and her husband, they have a, um, they own their own business. Um, so she is, she's that position. And we have a children's ministry director, um, Elizabeth. Um, she has a full-time job. Mike McFadden is our youth pastor and he has a very demanding full-time job. And then Steve McFadden is our worship pastor. And he has, he does insurance as well. Like I do. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that um, pretty soon. We are also, we have, for the last two years, we've been trying to find another full-time associate pastor to join us. Things at the church are going well, and we've been looking, there's a lot of opportunities that we see are available to us that the people in ministry, the people in leadership right now are pretty tapped out, um, full schedules, full responsibilities, and we want to bring on another full-time staff member. So Lord willing, hopefully... Hopefully that will happen. <laughs> I've never had another full-time staff member in the 24 years that I've I've been in ministry. So I, I don't know what that'd be like to have a true partner where we could talk on a weekly basis about this is what we need to do and these are the people we need to talk about. I've never had that. I, I hope that I hope that that'll be the case, hopefully soon. 
Well, that must be. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, that sounds like an exciting prospect for both you and the church to like for that to be an expansion of the ministry into that multi-staff. Yes, for sure. And that must be an interesting dynamic where you have your other co-laborers are are full-time in other positions. So to some degree, um, you can have expectations of them, but at the same time, there's the similar way that we respect our volunteers or our, you know, board members and recognizing that this is just part of their world where as for us, it is our world. So how do you kind of navigate that and walk that line of like, when do you put stuff on, you know, your youth pastor or your so, uh, worship pastor? And when do you just say, I'm just going to do it because I'm the, I'm the pastor here kind of thing. That's a good question. Not hundred percent sure how to answer that. Although what I will say is everyone that's involved, at least at, at our church right now, they are in ministry because they want to be. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference. So everyone mm-hmm. knows it's a privilege and it's a responsibility to serve. And all of us get along really, really well. We enjoy serving. All the board members love being board members. So it's not a problem getting people to, to carry, carry through, follow through on their responsibilities. Everybody wants to. You just have to be patient knowing that there's a, a phrase that I, I say, I don't necessarily like saying it, but things move at the speed of church. <laughs> you, you know, in the business world, if you want something done, you just you hire it out or you just tell someone yeah. this is what you need to do. You, you, it doesn't work that way in church. So things move yeah. at the speed of church. But when you have everybody there because they want to be and they want to serve and everyone gets along, it things move forward and they progress and um, it, it it's good. It's, I'm very, I feel very fortunate to be the pastor of this church. I really do. Mm. That's a good insight on the speed of church. Have you ever tried to move faster than that? And there were negative consequences? Sure. When I was right out of college, (laughs) (laughs) when you're, when you're young and you have nothing but ideas and you think this is how things should work and you try to get people to do certain things and they don't follow through and yeah, I, I, I had to learn some hard lessons, um, you know, my first ministry about expectations and what I can expect of other people and their desires and their abilities. Um, so I, I think I've, I've definitely mellowed out for sure, which is, I think, a good thing. What do you see as um, like your primary task as a pastor? Because I think this conversation of expectations and leading people and, you know, directing the church, I think that all kind of factors into like, what what do we as pastors see ourselves? I think every pastor has a slightly different answer to that question of yeah. like, what is my primary task? So what what do you see your primary task as the pastor? I, I might answer this a little bit differently than I would have 10, 15 years ago. That's good. Um, primary task. I know you're probably thinking of like a, a role or a responsibility, but I'm going to kind of think of it as a bigger picture. Having someone there who can consistently point things forward and remind everyone why we exist. Mm. If, if there's not one person who does that consistently, then um, people kind of go crazy and they mm. let's, let's do this. Let's do that. So I think having that consistent person who's there, who always shows up, you can count on them, depend on them. They're going to be faithful. And this is why we exist. Remember, this is why we exist. And, um, and I have those primary roles I think my, you know, if you're looking at a role, it's the chief communicator. Um, 
Um, but I'd say just being that person that says, nope, this is the direction we're going. This is what we're doing. This is why we exist. And just constantly reminding people. Um, I think that that's an important role. I think most every senior pastor should do. But of course, there's the specific roles that probably you were talking about. And I would say mainly communicating. No, that's actually exactly what I was thinking about. Some of those bigger you know, we, we have the tasks that we do, right? But then we have the role that we play as as the pastor in the community. I think that's a beautiful answer. Are you naturally um, like an organizational guy? Like I hear some kind of mission, vision, core value stuff in there. Is that something you lean to? I think in my first ministry, I was much more um, hands-on with organization. Mm. Um, but at this church, I haven't needed to be because uh, there's a lot of the people that are involved. They are very organizationally minded. I don't know if mm. that's the right way to say that. Mm. So I haven't had to be. And even with our Awana ministry, that's a very complex ministry, lots of moving parts. And thankfully I married someone who is really good at <laughs> all the organization. So she's kind of the brains behind everything. And I just kind of stand up. Sometimes. I'm just kind of the mouth, you know, I just kind of talk. So I haven't, I haven't had to be, but I do, I don't, um, I, I do enjoy that to some extent, but um, I haven't had to be, but in my first ministry, I definitely was. Um, mm. Maybe I think every, everyone in ministry, you have to kind of adapt to your surroundings and you yeah. know what's needed. And, and it hasn't been a huge need here, uh, but there, I mean, there are some organizational things that we, we are working on and we're hoping to even get some help with that. So. Well, and I feel, at least my experience, and I'm sure this is true, not just in pastoral work, but every line of work is it took me pretty close to uh, six or seven years before I started to kind of figure it out. Like, as far as like, what is, what is a pastor? Like, I know what a pastor is supposed to do, but what is a pastor? And it took me a lot of time of just doing it. And like you said, just showing up before I started to figure that out. And then as anyone in ministry knows, and I, I spoke on this a little bit at the pastor's retreat, pastor's conference, everybody has a different expectation yeah. of what you are to them. Mm. Um, they, some people want you to be their shepherd. Some people mm. want you to be their leader. Some people want you to be their teacher. Mm. And then I think over time, if you're in a ministry, then the people who want you to be who you are, God will kind of lead them to the church. And your church is kind of a reflection of that. That's just kind of an assumption I have, but that, that, those are hard lessons to learn when you know that you're not what that person wants you to be. And that, that those are hard lessons to learn and, and to realize that's okay. I don't, I don't have to be that. Mm. There's other people out there in the body of Christ that God can, you mm. know, connect those people. I've always sort of felt like a church takes on the personality, the philosophy of ministry of that pastor, shepherd, pri the primary leader, the person who you look to for that vision and guidance. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? That uh, I thought you said that really well, Josh, the way that the church will attract over, if you're in a place for a long time, the church will attract people who are like-minded in that kind of way of doing ministry. And they'll the, the people who don't fit that vision or that philosophy of ministry or that style will sort of like trickle out to the sides, you know, or they'll, they'll remain fringe on the edges. 
whereas over a decade or a couple of decades, that will coalesce around that vision for a ministry, which is why it's so valuable to stay in one place for a long period of time. Because if you move every six or seven years, right, you might not even be able to settle in to that community in that short amount of time. And I think the churches, if they're going through pastors that are gifted in different ways every several years, they go through this, you know, extreme identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, who are we? What is our what is our mission? And I think any church can have multiple ways of serving Christ and like sp- specifying in a certain area of ministry, whether it's outreach or whatever whatever issues that they want to face or a teaching ministry or helping others and all of them are are right all of them are good but mm. i think that the people in leadership um they kind of have to follow their their calling because if they're doing what they're not called to do they're going to be miserable <laughs> and then the church is going to be miserable so kind of giving yourself freedom to say this is what these are the passions that god has given me and yeah someone's the, in there for a long time it helps the pastor can't pretend to be something that it's not that he's not not for a long time, maybe for a short time, <laughs> not over, not over years and years and years. Yeah. But also the church can't pretend to be something that it's not over a long period of time. Like it just mm. won't be able to hold together or sustain that if it's not uh, kind of that authentic, um, you know, I think the a word for it that I've seen used is communitas. Like we have a sense of community, but communitas being that sense of shared struggle or we're in this together you know it's not just a potluck it's more when we get together we know that we're we're in this together that's that shared sense of who we are and identity as a church right right and that's i I think that's kind of a, a cool thing that i even have heard you kind of reference is you have been shaped by your congregation in the same way that your congregation has shaped you. You know, you said you had these people who are organizational. And so as a result of that, you were free to lean into some of the ways that you're maybe more naturally. And that's, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think yeah, anyone who's in ministry, you do have your gifts, but boy, you sure need to be adaptable uh, yeah. to some extent. Not, yeah. yeah. To some extent you need to be like this. These are the needs and either I'll, I'll help fulfill them or you know, find someone who can. So speaking of adapting, uh, you guys recently, what, three, four years ago, moved buildings? Correct. Right. Four years Can ago. you kind of talk us through what what that whole process was like? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to, I get, get the Reader's Digest version, not the whole thing, <laughs> but, you know, we were, um, so we were at another location and it was a, a great facility, um, but we had outgrown it. Uh, good problem. Those are the problems you want. And mm-hmm. kind of as a stopgap measure, we thought, okay, there, we know that we need to expand or something because we were, we were growing and we, you know, we, had, we wanted to get more people involved. So we went to two services knowing that eventually we wanted to do something. Well, at that location, there was a next door neighbor. He had a, a house kind of close to the street and then his entire backyard was um, available for potential parking. So we, we had talked to him a couple times over the course of time. And so this would have been in 2000 or 2017, spring or summer of 17. Um, we said, well, we are looking to expand. Would you be willing to con- consider selling us your house? And he said, yes. And we were somewhat excited <laughs> about the possibility of getting his place. But it was a, the house was, I don't know the details. It was about 3000 square feet. 
Um, but his backyard literally was a junkyard. So we knew we, we were going to renovate that, make it extra parking. We needed more parking. Then we were going to renovate the house, which would have taken a lot of time, a lot of energy and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then we'd have had our building and then a huge parking lot and then another building on the other side of the parking lot. And we're trying to figure out what would we use that for? And it didn't solve any issues with um, sanctuary space. But we did talk to him. I think this was on a Wednesday night. And he agreed to go through the process of negotiating and selling. Well, literally the very next morning, um, one of the guys from our board who was on that committee to do this, he was just randomly searching the, um, the listings for commercial properties in Phoenix, and he found our current location, and he emailed it to me. And he says, hey, what do you think about this? Kind of as a joke. And I saw it, and I go, yeah, that'd be, that'd be really nice. And the rest of that morning, I, I kept going back and looking at the pictures of the building and thinking, wait a second, this is... <laughs> This is this is more square footage than anything we could ever build at our current location. And it's done. <laughs> we we wouldn't have to do multiple building campaigns and remodel. Was there campaigns. a was there a junkyard? No junkyard. That's wow. right, no junkyard. <laughs> and and it was gonna be less money ultimately. So oh we we actually need to look at this. And it was in the middle of a neighborhood. We wanted to be more mm. neighborhood oriented and it had an elementary school right adjacent to it. So long story short, we, the congregation went through it. We decided, yeah, we need to pursue this, see if this is in our best interest. So we made an offer to that church and we said, just give us six months. I was a, we gave $5,000 down, mm-hmm. uh, fully refundable if we didn't sell our property in, in six months. Um, mm-hmm. And they said, okay. And they had outgrown the building. They had built another building about a few miles away. Well, in the meantime, the board had to decide, okay, we have this offer on this property and they've agreed. Um, how do we know if God is leading us to do this? Mm-hmm. And so the board voted that we will move forward if we get a full price offer on our property. Mm. And um, this was in September. Well, nothing happened for a while. And then a few weeks later, we had three churches visit our property. And the first made an offer $100,000 less than our mm. asking price. Another but we knew because our realtor knew them and their situation, they did not have a building and they had cash. Mm. Um, they were looking for a property. Another church offered full price with some contingencies. And then another church offered almost close to full price with some contingencies. So we went back to the first church and we said, now you offered a hundred thousand dollars less and you wanted to be in here in about three weeks, but here's our counter offer. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay full price. <laughs> And we're going to tell you when we're going to move. We're going to move a Martin Luther King weekend after the holidays. And they knew that other churches had offered full price. And so they said sold. I mean, they just immediately went full price, no contingencies. And they gave us our moving date. And it was one of those moments where the board looked at each other and went, oh, wow, I guess guess we're moving. I guess this is actually going to happen. So 2017, Martin Luther King weekend, or actually 2018, we had our last Sunday service. Uh, we closed in prayer. We had a whole bunch of pizza for everyone to eat. And we had all the boxes were packed up with, with our belongings. And it took us only four hours to completely mm-hmm. move our lo- from one location to the next location. And I look back on that and I've never been a part of something that was so complex and yet at the same time so easy. Mm-hmm. And And all of us have just thought about this since it took place that there were three churches involved in this process. There was the church that already moved. 
our church and the church that needed our building. And it was one of those experiences where I felt like God said, okay, you three churches just step aside. I want, I want to make this happen for all of you so that you can stop thinking about building and relocating. (laughs) I want you to focus on ministry. So here, I'm just going to make it happen. And it happened. So that's kind of how it happened. It was kind of like a God thing. It really was pretty neat. That's what was, go ahead, Jim. What was, I'm, I'm interested in that, that last service. What was the emotional tenor of your congregation that day? Um, it was, it was mixed, um, both emotional, a lot of work had been put into that building. Um, the congregation had literally built it. Um, they poured the walls for the, the new sanctuary, <laughs> but at the same time, everyone was just excited because we knew that this is a new chapter, a better facility. Um, and a, a lot of the parents, like the young parents, they knew that the newer facility was, how do I say it? Just just better and they thought oh my kids can be married in that building as opposed mm. to the current building so i just there was a big vision of the future and what that new facility can do for the ministries for the next 20 30 40 years but it mm. was it was um it, it was emotional but it was good it was all good mm. no one no one left kicking and screaming mm. <laughs> we'll put it that way is anyone still there? They, I'm staying. I Just never, join, no, join the I, old, the new church. I don't. I don't think so. Well, who knows? But you know, I'm pretty, pretty sure not. Well, it goes a long way to show that the the sense of community that you have there uh, as Grace Bible Church was strong enough to survive that move, right? To to get to the new building, and it's not the building that makes the community; it's the community that inhabits the space. Right. And that's really um, the timing of that uh, down to the last service and the, the way that everything seemed to work out in such a providential way. Um, I, I think that goes back to what you said about moving at the speed of church, right? There was no way to rush this process. Uh, there was no, um, like if you had forced that to go through, you'd find yourself beating your head against the wall for something that was not the right direction for your whole community. And so being prayerfully open to those opportunities when they arise is really strengthening to a community. It gives you that sense of we're all in this together and uh, moving forward together as a body. Yeah. Throughout that whole process, I remember I kept saying this and the board kept saying this. We, We would tell the congregation, this will happen only if God really opens the doors and we were all okay if it didn't happen. So it's like, okay, God, it's, this is your, in your hands. If this is in our best interest, then you make it happen. And that was genuine. And, and God said, okay, this is what Mm. we're going to do. Yeah. We didn't, it wasn't forced at all, which was, I think, healthy and good. Are there ways that, um, the, a difference in, in space and the difference in location has changed the dynamics of the church or the ministry of the church are there things that are because i i think space does matter right it, it isn't just uh, an empty husk that we fill but our spaces do kind of shape us are there ways that your new building has changed your church you know i never i never really thought about it until you asked um if there's one thing that i would change is i would i would want to have the largest four year possible <laughs> <clears throat> 
because there's something special about that time after the worship service or in between where people have a comfortable space to talk. Mm. And we put a shade structure in between the two main buildings that we have multi-purpose center and the, the sanctuary um, just so that people would be outside and talking. But in previous churches and previous locations, we did have a, a better space for people to just mingle. And we don't have that right now. Mm. So that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. And that would be kind of in a negative sense. Mm. Maybe, maybe for me, because other people, if they want to talk to their friends, they find places in the church, but that, that just might be more yeah. for me and doing the, the pastor right after the service, you know, having mm. a comfortable air conditioned space to do that in, especially in the, <laughs> in the summer. But no, I think um, because the leadership didn't change, I think who we are kind of stayed the same and you just find the new patterns of how to walk around the campus. Yeah. And, um, no, no, no major significant changes, I would say. Hmm. Well, it was a similar space. I mean, I was at your church back in 2005 when my wife and I were not even married yet. And we came to visit for uh, a couple of days and I can remember seeing that must have been either brand new construction or in the process of being constructed the, the newer facility that was there, I want to say and the newer facility of the old building. And then when I came last month, I was so disoriented because I, for some reason, I didn't register that you had changed buildings. Oh, really? Oh, that's And funny. so <laughs> I went into the, I went into the um, <clears throat> sanctuary there and it was like, it felt kind of the same, but a little bit different. And I was like, this still, this seems like Grace Bible Church Phoenix, but it feels a little different. What's wrong? And so I think that actually the the main spaces of gathering is it kind of it felt similar. I don't know if that's fair or not, but yeah, the actually it's taken me a while to like the sanctuary at the new church better because the the old facility it was um, not as deep, but it was wider, so people right. were closer to me, and here it's longer, mm-hmm. so people are further away. I'm used to it now, but the first few weeks. I never told people, but I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> but you can't say that. <laughs> yeah, I just knew I, you, you'd adapt, but people are so far away. You know, it's just kind of, you get used to it. You get used to everything. So That's for sure true. And I've noticed that preaching in other churches that are more cavernous, that, that there is a real distance that opens up between you and the, the people you're trying to yeah. speak to. We actually... Uh, since the last time we did a PCP, we built an addition onto our our stage in our in our sanctuary because I hated being. It seems like I'm like five feet up above everybody and like twenty feet back, and so we built like people make fun of it and say it's like Bono, you know, like or Garth Brooks, but it's to get closer so that it's more of a congregational than a, a presentation. I, I wouldn't mind doing that where we're at, just like kind of an extension to the stage. Yeah, just that's exactly what we did. Yeah, I, yeah yep. totally. Yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah. And you can do a harmonica solo out on the middle of that. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, how far is it from your old your old space? Are you still in the same neighborhood? No, um, it's about five about five miles, but okay. it's right off the freeway, so it's extremely accessible. And that's one of the reasons why we felt comfortable. We were very concerned about that. You know, would we lose people? Um, but 
it's in a neighborhood. It's in, I hate to say it. It's in kind of a nicer neighborhood. It's not on a busy, busy road like our mm-hmm. um, other church was. But because it's so accessible, that helped. And then one thing I've noticed living in Phoenix compared to growing up in Spokane or living in West Michigan is commute communities don't really matter here. Mm. Um, like you don't you don't say I live in this neighborhood. People will move from one neighborhood to another neighborhood and not even bat an eyelash. So people mm-hmm. connect with each other. Um, they're, they're pockets of people and they're willing to drive wherever. So that wasn't mm-hmm. so much an issue for us. And I think just in for Phoenix in general, people can move from one city to another city as long as it's not that far and it's not going to affect, affect it as much as it would, I think, in other communities, other that, states or other cities. That's interesting. And there's probably a lot of factors into that. It's so hot you have to drive everywhere anyways so it doesn't matter if you're driving a short distance or long distance and it's all just like that urban sprawl correct yeah but i do gotta say whoever the city planner was having just been to your churches why did they have to put the seventh avenue in the seventh street exits like right next to each other where where was the where was that (laughs) thought process like yeah central central street divides you know, all of Phoenix and yeah. all the streets are on the east, all the avenues are on the west. So and yeah, you like, have to be very careful. Yeah. You have to say, was that avenue or street? Because you know, you get to like 90th Avenue, 90th Street. Those are like yeah, you know, those are 15 far. miles yeah. apart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So Josh, you mentioned that you have uh some work on the side of your pastoral ministry. And one of the things we wanted to talk about was how that has affected or supported your ministry. Um, you know, I don't think that you're going to sell any of us insurance and we're not like, (laughs) Josh is not sponsoring the podcast, uh, with his insurance business. Um, although we are always looking for sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, Close those doors. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I've always kind of wanted to have my foot in the community and I'm, I'm definitely an entrepreneur and I learned, especially at my first church, don't take my competitive nature out on the church. Mm. Um, and a specific example of that would be, do not be the coach of the church softball team, <laughs> <laughs> which I think I've done that before. It's like, I can't, I can't do that. I got to be the pastor. So um, I've always kind of wanted to do something where I'm out there meeting other people and doing something bivocational or having a side job would be good. When I was back at GBF in, in Michigan, I, for a short period of time, I was a on-call firefighter. And I just wanted to be involved in the community and have something I can earn a little bit of money on the side. Um, usually people in ministry, they, you know, people don't make a lot of money uh, being uh, pastors. So just having a little extra income. And I, I learned back in Michigan that when there was a fire, um, it didn't always happen at the best time as far as my ministry schedule. You know, there's fire. Okay, everybody and, come. And, and my gotta... third point for the sermon is. I'll be right back. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. There's been times where the, the call came in. I'm like, I got Bible study tonight. I can't go. Yeah. So when I moved here, um, I had I had done something where I was selling used books on Amazon for like three years. And I do that on my own time. And that was that was kind of fun. But then a, a young guy moved here from another part of the country. And he said he was involved in Medicare sales. And I told him I was looking for something I could do on the side. And he said, well, why don't you try this? I think it could really work with your schedule. So I went to the board, this is 12 or 13 years ago. I said, I'd, you know, I'd like to have something on the side that I can do. And um, I don't know if we can go into more details if, you, if we have time and you want to. 
but I was just trying to find something that I could do that could give, I could experience, hopefully this makes sense. I could experience success outside of the church where I'm not expecting the church to do something for me that it couldn't and it shouldn't do. Mm. I'll kind of leave it at that. Mm. But um, so doing Medicare sales has been wonderful for me because it's seasonal. And um, I found something that's very flexible. I'm really only busy two months out of the year. So October, November, if someone's on Medicare, that's when they can make a change, an annual change. So I'm very busy those two months. And then as soon as the season is over, which is December 7th, it's like it, it a light switch. It, it literally goes <laughs> off, it's done. Then, um, then, I'm, then I'm done. Um, throughout the rest of the year, if someone turns 65 or they move into the community, then you know I can have referrals and I can meet with people. But um, this has been something that has been good for me. Um, financially, obviously, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of extra coming in. But from a like a personal and emotional standpoint, um, it gives me a nice sense of yearly rhythm because I have mm. two months where I'm busy and I can kind of focus on that for a little bit. And by the time that that's done, I'm ready to be done with that. And I'm really excited to focus 100% on church again, right around Christmas and Easter. So it has given me a really nice yearly rhythm. Yeah. It's also, this is weird to say this. You, I guess you can keep this in the podcast if it, if it makes sense and it sounds good. But it has also taken away from me that thought of, I'll never be able to get a raise here. So I'm looking mm. for a bigger church to come in and make me a bigger offer. And I've never gone into ministry for that, but I'm able mm. to earn money on the side. So I don't have to worry about that at all, mm. which has been kind of healthy. Um, and then to, you know, support my family and to put more into retirement. So there's been a whole bunch of benefits to that. And I would say to anyone in ministry, if you're looking for something that you could do on the side, if you could find something that is flexible, um, where your ministry is your primary calling, and if you can make that fit into your ministry schedule, then you know that would be ideal, as opposed mm -hmm. to being in a brick and mortar for you know a specific time. But yeah, I, I've been doing this for 12 years, and it's worked. I think in those 12 years, I've only had like one or two times where there was a conflict between something I had to do for church and a insurance appointment. And I called the people up and I said, Hey, just so you know, I'm also a pastor and I have something I have to do. Do you mind if I reschedule? And they were like, Oh, we're retired. We, we our schedule's wide open. You do what you need to do and we'll reschedule. So it's, it's worked perfect. Um, and then Steve McFadden, who's the worship pastor, he, he started doing this a year after I, I did. So we do that. We do that too. We do ministry and we do this on the side and it's, it's been a really good thing. So that, that's kind of what I've been doing. And it's, it's really been a blessing to us. There's something really interesting. You just, you said in there about how when you spend those two months working, it almost revitalizes your energy for ministry, which yeah. is like, it's like a bizarro Sabbath. Like instead yeah. of taking, instead yeah. of taking like a, a time away, you, yeah, I mean, you are kind of taking the time away in your focus, and that is then bringing you back to ministry and reminding you why you love being a pastor. It really does. Which is a that's an interesting, interesting concept. And during those two months when I'm really busy, I still do all my responsibilities at church. Right. Um, and and the, just the nature of this side job, I'm able to 
to still do that and study and make phone calls and emails and texts. So that's not an issue. But from that, from that emotional standpoint, I can kind of put a little bit of energy into the insurance season and, you know, yeah. you know, okay, I'm experiencing a little success and it's kind of fun. Okay. That's done. Now I can do what I really feel I'm called to do. Yeah. And it's sort of like exercising with ankle weights for two months. It's like you work really hard. And so then when you take them off, like, Oh man, this is. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a huge blessing. And yeah, you know, earlier you talked about how long would I like to be here? It's, it's something like this that, makes it so that I can see myself being here for another 20 years. You know, mm. this is, this has kept me here and um, who, you know, who knows what the future holds, but it's been a very, it's been a blessing to me. Some of the stresses that people in ministry have, thankfully I, I don't because the church has allowed me to do this and this has worked really well with my church. Mm. Uh, I kind of resonate with um, your, your idea of being able to, kind of scratch that itch of success in a way that doesn't um, hamper or, or it's not misplaced on your ministry. And I think that's probably similar for a lot of pastors. I know uh, Eugene Peterson, who um, is a big influence on my life, kind of had that same experience where at his heart, he was really driven, but he learned that that wasn't the place. And so he found other ways. Are there, are there times before you were able to do this? I mean, you mentioned being a softball coach. Are there times when maybe where you had to kind of learn the hard way that that like success driven approach isn't necessarily always the right fit for pastoral work. Like maybe in some of your older ministries or are there just experiences where you were kind of confronted with, I can't do that here. Yeah. I kind of, and I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head, but definitely my first church. Um, When I started GBF, Kristen and I got married, what, three weeks before. We didn't have any kids for mm-hmm. four years. And I was right out of college, had a whole bunch of ideas. I just jumped in feet first and I had no hobbies. So mm-hmm. everything was church. Everything mm-hmm. was church and it was wonderful. And the church let me do everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I learned those lessons of you need balance. You need balance. Mm-hmm. You need to have a hobby. You need to have d- different things. And I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive person. And so I've always needed goals in my life, like physical goals, like, you know, run a race, you know, do, do this, do that. And then, yeah, having a side job that I can have those goals and accomplish mm. things and not force the church to, to do that for me has been very, very helpful. It's brought some health to my life. But yeah. in my first church, I, sorry, I don't have any specifics, but just, oh just kind of like, okay, guys, this is what we need to do. We need to get to this number of people. We need to have these ministries and we, you know, just kind of forcing the church to kind of perform. Yeah. And, and, I, think, those lessons. and I think that speaks to uh, some earlier thoughts of like, God made you the way you are. Like God put that competitive drive in you. So it's not a matter of beating that out of you or suppressing that, but it's about a way of of finding how God can use that. And you've kind of found a creative solution to that, that actually right. enables you to serve better. Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Josh, one of the things we like to ask everyone is what's your favorite part of the ministry. And then if you could think of one thing that for you personally is just harder, maybe more a bit of a grind 
that's part of the ministry. You got to show up, you got to do it. Uh, but it's not your favorite task. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are kind of easy. <laughs> I, you know, people go into ministry for different reasons. And for me, it was the, the conviction that the Bible's true mm. and someone needs to stand up and talk about it. So if there's ever a subject that I come across that I hadn't spend a lot of time studying. And I think this is so amazing. I can't believe this is in the Bible and um, like fulfilled prophecies, things like that. I love to share that with others and to see them, the light bulbs come on and see them make the connection. So that, I think that's primarily why God called me to ministry is to, to teach and to point out these things. And I, I get that thrill all the time. Mm. The other side, the hard thing is, um, and this is just how God has made me. Um, when someone has some emotional issues that they're really struggling with, I, I don't often know what to do. I just, mm. I don't, I get this, the deer in the headlights. I, I don't know how to solve those problems. Mm. I'm a pretty simple going person myself. <laughs> so like I, how did your life become so complicated? I don't get it. You know, make it easier, you know, stop, stop sinning, stop, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> so when, when someone has a lot of um, emotional needs and they need things mm. untangled in their life, I have true compassion. I really do. I just, I just have that feeling of, I don't know what to do. I don't mm. know how to fix this. Not mm. that you need to fix. I've learned that you don't need to fix stuff. Sometimes you just need to listen. <laughs> Yeah. But just how God's wired me, goal oriented. Okay, what what's yeah. the goal here? There is no goal. You can't you yeah. can't get there. So I've had to learn that I'm I'm much better than I was 20 years ago. Like truly, I'm much better with that and much more compassionate. But I mean, if that's what I had to do all day every day, I I would not be in my calling. But mm-hmm. um, it would be the walking alongside people and just that's that's something I've had to learn how to do. I'll just say that. That's great. That's great. This has been good. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us, Josh. Really appreciate it. I hope it's an encouragement to everyone who's listening. Uh, Just really thankful for you and for your ministry and for your family and just like how we've been able to be partners in ministry for 20 plus years. So thanks for joining us. And thank you guys for doing this. I've I've listened to most, I think most of your podcasts and I always enjoy them. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.